Coming up in this episode of The Wheelhouse, moving beyond the fourth wall. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Grant Chandler, CEO of Students Matter, and this is The Wheelhouse. In this season of our podcast, we'll mix interviews and conversations with in-depth thinking around our three foundational components of our framework, accomplishment-driven leadership, superior instruction, and powerful student care. You know, we believe it's our priority as educators to prove to each student how incredibly distinctive and irreplaceable his or her life is. Together, let's continue to step up to this incredibly important challenge and add additional tools and skills right into our wheelhouse. So welcome to this episode of The Wheelhouse, Moving Beyond the Fourth Wall. In between guest spots, I wanted to do a segment on each of the three foundational pillars of our work at Students Matter. And so we've done an episode on accomplishment-driven leadership. We've done an episode tied to powerful student care last week. And then we'll move forward with an episode this week on superior instruction. So let's just regroup just a little bit so that you can put all three of these episodes uh, together. So let's go back to episode six for just a moment, where we talked about accomplishment-driven leadership. And we define that as when leaders move beyond the managerial role and beyond the instructional leader role to embrace that responsibility of ensuring growth, student learning growth, and and even more importantly, adult capacity building, because that produces student growth in all of those professional areas that are aligned to student need. And in that episode, we identified five arenas, if you will, for accomplishment-driven leaders. And those were team leadership, using one's authoritative governance to steer a group or organization toward the use of its discretionary effort. Poise, a personal commitment to leveraging one's own self-awareness, self-development, self-confidence, and resilience to lead courageously. Contemplation, using that contemplative practice of predict, plan for, and respond to the ever-changing needs of the district, the leaders, the teachers, families, and, and of course, most of all, to each and every child. There's guidance or steering, supporting, and anticipating the ongoing growth of others to ensure their ever-increasing capacity to succeed in their role within the organization. And then finally, realization, identifying and focusing on achieving the outcomes needed to realize the organization's strategic vision. In last week's episode, we talked about uncovering positive intent, which is related to that pillar of powerful student care. You know, we know that each and every student, and for that matter, adults too, each and every person comes to school every day wanting to be successful. Some have the skills to do so. Others, both students and adults, fall short. Some lack the skills needed to meet academic, social, emotional, or behavioral expectations. 
But isn't that what school's for? If everyone came fully loaded with all the skills, the attitudes, and motivation, what would they need us for anyway? Isn't it our job to embrace each beautiful young soul, each student, figure out what skills they bring and what skills are lacking, and then put a plan together to address those issues and get them to the finish line? I know it's hard work, but shouldn't we expect to have students with significant need? Extending positive intent to each and every one of them. That was our message in last week's episode, even if you can't see that positive intent in play. So now today in this episode, let's spend a few minutes thinking about our third pillar, superior instruction. Now, we define that term, superior instruction, as the level of quality to which each teacher and leader aspires to deliver to each student each day in every content area. And if you look at this idea of superior instruction, uh, I would argue that it has several characteristics that kind of transcend and kind of crisscross over all, all content areas. One. Instructional targets move from low to high levels of depth of knowledge. Two, students are engaged in robust academic discourse with each other. Three, students are given ample opportunities to be metacognitive. Four, student thinking is made public and there are opportunities to demonstrate changes in thinking to both their peers and their teacher. And finally, five, there is ample opportunity for students to connect their learning to previous learning, other content, and most importantly, the world beyond their classroom. You know, I, I develop a lot of content on a weekly basis for whether that is for some of the tools uh, that I create, whether that's for online courses, the podcast, the blog, there are lots of things that are created on a weekly basis. And as I was developing the content for one of my online courses, I used several quotes from what I think is just an incredible book, uh, Engagement by Design. Uh, it's a book written in 2017 by Fisher Fry uh, Qualia, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, Smith and Land. Not that I'm not fans of all of them, but I am a huge Russell Qualia fan. And in that book, they say there were two quotes that that I used that I think come to mind, and they they kind of been driving this particular um, episode as well. And so the first quote goes like this, quote, although school is compulsory, learning is not. The act of learning is analogous to a dance between a teacher and a learner. However, an unwilling dance partner upsets the equation. And you may think we're referring to the learner, but actually we mean the teacher. Much like the lead dance partner, the teacher guides the student through the choreography. The best leads convey a sense of invitation throughout through missteps and moments of fluidity. I've got you. We're in this together. An invitational stance to learning is key to getting results, end quote. And then the second quote that resonates for this particular episode, quote, my students want to learn. 
They just need to be shown the way. End quote. So everywhere you go, you hear about how public education, excuse me, has failed in the past year. An entire lost year of learning. You hear it over and over again, right? We're so concerned about it that the U.S. Department of Education has lifted some accountability measures, but refuses, unfortunately, to waive mandated testing because they want to know to what degree we've all lost. Now, let's just tear that apart for just a minute. While I don't in any way disagree that this year has been difficult, it's been difficult for students, it's been difficult for families, it's been difficult for districts, for leaders, for teachers, for support staff. I mean, no kidding, right? Who in their right mind asked for a global pandemic? And I also agree that we have to make broadband and technology available to everyone, regardless of zip code, economic status, or any other factor, so that we don't continue to marginalize students, families, or groups of people based on simply whether or not they have access to technology in the internet. I think this pandemic has made it very, very clear that there are fundamentally groups who are well-served and fundamentally there are groups that are marginalized and we absolutely have to do something about that. But that's not what this show's about. And that's not what this particular episode is about. So please don't dis, don't misinterpret. I absolutely, absolutely think that being an educator in the year of a pandemic is hard. Having student, being a student, being a family is hard in a pandemic. And certainly we have done no great justice to those families and communities and groups of people who are marginalized. And absolutely we need to do something about that. However, some districts have done some pretty amazing things. They've figured out how to get internet and broadband capabilities to some families that didn't have it. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Do we have a ways to go? Absolutely. But there are districts across this country who have done some amazing things and have worked really hard to do some amazing things. And some of the things that they thought were going to be amazing weren't as amazing. But I think we have to celebrate the fact that they did it. They did it quickly. They did it often without advanced strategic planning or because someone told them they had to. They just simply tried to respond to the needs of many in the face of this tremendous adversity we call COVID. So often as I think about content I need to develop, I also do so while walking my two standard poodles. They've grown accustomed to three good walks a day, and I get used to that time to think and to plan. And in many of my walks of late, I can't get one of my former students, Devin, out of my head. And she has paved the way for this conversation almost 25 years ago. So let's back up a little bit, right? And I was a teacher at the time, a world language teacher, and I had just moved into my third district, and it was July. 
And so I'd packed up my classroom in one district and I, you know, was ready to move in to another district and get situated before everybody else came to, to school. And so the, the secretary, you know, I got keys and she showed me the way to the third floor to where uh, my classroom was a uh, classroom on the inside of the building uh, without windows. Cause the new people always get those rooms, right? We always get the room without a window. Uh, and, uh, she apologized for the shape of the room uh, because the person who had been in there before was a bit of a pack rat and not necessarily the cleanest person in the world. And uh, the room was trash. So I spent a good part of a week or more um, simply cleaning and throwing and uh, the room opposite the mine in the hallway had an outside window. And at the outside of that window, you could, if you were a good shot, you could hit the dumpster. So I threw a lot of stuff from the third floor window out to the dumpster uh, during the course of that week and a half. And I came across the textbooks that I was supposed to use as a world language teacher. Um, and they were at least 15 years older uh, than what they should have been. And that was being generous. Um, and there was no way I was going to use them. So I thought, hey, what a really good excuse if they just somehow found their way to the dumpster as well. And they did. And so for the first three years in this job, I uh, taught world language with all my created materials. I basically wrote the curriculum for levels one through four of this world language. And I taught um, what I had developed. And I remember a conversation where Devin was in the room and we were talking about were four or five students in the room and they were talking about classes and learning and whatever. And I was just kind of eavesdropping and listening as they were there. And she made this comment that has stuck with me forever. And she said, well, in this classroom, you know, we don't just learn things out of books. Good thing. Cause there weren't any, uh, she says, we're learning about life. We don't just learn things out of textbooks. We're learning about life. That, of course, was a huge compliment to that teacher of me, that teacher 25 years ago. Uh, and so let's listen to Devin for just a minute because we've learned a lot. And it isn't, a, you know, you can argue that there's some learning lost. And I'm going to argue today that it depends on how you define that. Uh, because we have learned a lot. Children have learned a lot. And adults have learned a lot. And let's just think for just a minute, take just a quick minute about some of the things that we've learned. Well, we've learned a lot about relationships. We've learned how darn important they are. We've learned who we want to be and have relationships with and who we don't want to have relationships with. We've learned we can have relationships with people and never be in the same space, uh, that there are multiple ways to connect and to communicate, and we don't necessarily have to be in the same room. Uh, and we have learned sometimes the easy way and sometimes the hard way, the skills that are necessary to build those relationships and most importantly, to maintain or repair those relationships when they break down. We've learned a lot about technology. Uh, you know, being somewhat older, I'm not a technological native, although I think I'm pretty skilled. Uh, but, you know, those children growing up are technology natives and they have learned how to do some things that they've never ever had to do before. They can attend classes by Zoom. They can use Google Meet. They can use a Google Classroom. They can use all sorts of technology 
to connect with their friends, to connect with their teachers, to connect with their grandmothers and their grandfathers, to connect with their teachers. And they have learned how to maneuver. It's amazing for me to watch a kindergartner who once taught can get themselves into platforms online and can get themselves connected to their learning um, before they're even a solid reader. Now think about the fact that five years ago, we would have never thought that was possible. And now who knows what it is that they're going to need to be able to do technologically. But our students, our young people have seen that that is some learning that they've never done before. We've learned that we can do work, however we define that, whether that's school, classroom, home, whatever our job is. But we've all learned that we can work and that work can happen anywhere at any time. There are people who will never return to the brick and mortar office because we've learned how to do that work remotely. Children have learned that you can go to school remotely. And for some, that is an incredibly positive experience. And we've opened a door to to them that they didn't know was possible. We've also learned a little bit or a lot, depending on what we mean by balance. Having to work from home and having to go to school from home and having to do a lot of things out of our home, we've learned hopefully, right, or we're in the process of learning how to balance work-school responsibilities, home responsibilities, and then those things that are personal to us, whether those are personal responsibilities or personal things that we enjoy doing. We figured out, right, again, varying degree from person to person, but we figured out balance has become even more concrete than it ever has been before. And I would argue that these are tremendously beneficial pieces of learning for the 21st century that is going to take our young people to some pretty amazing places. They've learned to be resilient. They've learned to develop social and emotional skills that maybe they didn't have. And so I think we need to think about what we mean. And here's here's where this is all heading today. Not all learning is standards-based. And not all learning is tied to a specific course or to a specific discipline. In fact, the idea of disciplines is contrary to the way things exist out there in the real world. The academic world is artificial. Learning is so much bigger than progress reports, marking periods, report cards, state assessments, and the five-paragraph essay. We invented some of those things so that we could live within the artificiality of the classroom. So let's connect the classroom to the world beyond. And COVID has shown us it's possible. And not only possible, but preferred. 
you know, we've scratched the surface even with the little preparation time that we've had to get ready for this pandemic. And now that we're seeing hopefully some light at the end of the tunnel and it's time to think about what our new normal is, we have the time to rethink. So if you're a fan of reality television or theater or even movies, TV shows, there's this concept of the fourth wall that is where the cameras and the producers are. And you don't cross that line because then the artificiality of what it is you're creating that you want to seem real is now broken, right? And so real becomes artificial. Uh, and so I think it's a really interesting way to think about the artificiality of the academic world. Standards, oh, they're great, right? But so what? How do we connect those to life? And what do we really want our students to engage with? And how do we use all that we know to create learning goals, experiences, and ways of measuring that move learning beyond the fourth wall. So when you think about a, an ELA common core standard, and I'm just picking one at random that says that I can cite contextual evidence, you know, uh, textual evidence from multiple sources to explain the author's point of view or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's fantastic, right? That's a fantastic skill. But if it ends there, so what? How many times outside of the world of academia do we say, oh, I need to cite contextual evidence, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we just don't do it, right? Now, if we are engaged in a really powerful conversation about how we can end poverty, and we want to talk about a couple of authors and what and a couple of viewpoints, then certainly citing textual evidence from both of those and synthesizing that and making an argument is fantastic because now it's a means to an end. It is the breaking of that fourth wall of the artificiality of the classroom and of academia into the real world. And I think that is an incredibly important lesson learned and something to think about as we move back to rethinking what our new normal is, right? We got to rethink what learning really means because it hasn't been a lost year unless you want to think of the traditional way about thinking about learning that it, those things that are measured on standardized tests. Yes, there are a lot of students, more so than there should be, that are behind in reading and mathematics. That's not what this episode is about, and I completely agree, right? But I'll bet you they've learned some other things that they probably didn't have an opportunity to learn. And as public schools, accelerating somebody's reading and math skills when we return to whatever normal is should be something we're already prepared to do, right? So I don't think it has to be the crisis that 
some think, and I don't think that it has been a completely lost year. So when we think about moving beyond the fourth wall, right, moving beyond that one-dimensional artificiality of academics and, and academia, let's think about those five characteristics of superior instruction again, thinking about busting out and through that fourth wall. Instructional targets move from low to high levels of depth of knowledge. Students are engaged in robust academic, and that takes on a new meaning, academic discourse with each other. Students are given ample opportunities to be metacognitive. Student thinking is made public and there are opportunities to demonstrate changes in thinking to both their peers and their teacher. And there is ample opportunity for students to connect their learning to previous learning, other content, and the world beyond their classroom. So the challenge now is to recognize that learning isn't one-dimensional. It's social, it's emotional, it's academic. It's how we interact with the world around us. It's how we understand the many aspects of our own lives and how our learning impacts each of those aspects to really make us a well-rounded, thoughtful, productive citizen. And as we think about returning to whatever the new normal is, Let's not forget my friend, Devin. Wouldn't it be incredible if each and every student could say, hey, we're learning about life. Thanks for joining me. And that wraps up another episode of The Wheelhouse. If you have something you'd like to share or a teaching or leadership problem you'd like to see us address, drop us a line at onlineacademy at ourstudentsmatter.org and we'll add that to our lineup. Together, our goal is to continuously expand our own leadership and instructional expertise and to prove to each student that his or her life is of immense and irreplaceable value. This is hard work but it is the noblest of all professions. Until next time, remember, we can do this. <laughs>